Lint's Golden Bunny. Welcome to Cartmel's In Conversation. I'm Lara Elder, Senior Associate in the Trademarks team, and today I'm delighted to be joined once again by my colleague Alexandra Bell for another trademark-themed episode. Ali, welcome back. Hi, nice to be back. Well, I know Easter is quite a long way off now, but we couldn't wait that long to talk about uh, a fairly recent decision from the German courts involving Lindt's iconic uh, chocolate golden bunny. I suspect many of our chocolate-loving listeners saw the headlines proclaiming variations on a theme of Lindt golden bunny bounces to victory and other such wonderful puns. Um, But before we dive behind those particular headlines... I thought, Ali, it would be interesting to to take a, a look back at Lint's trademark strategies over the years, because I think it's fair to say that their golden bunny has had a bit of a starring role in shaping European trademark law, particularly in the in the context of non-traditional trademarks. So, I mean, maybe the place to start is, you know, why why is the gold bunny so important to Lint? Yeah, I I was surprised um, by this as well. Um, The Lint Chocolate Bunny has been a a staple in my Easter festivities for a long time. So I was surprised to hear that there was so much controversy around it and that Lint struggled so much to to protect what, in my mind, yeah, seems like quite an iconic product, especially for them. Um, So for those of you who don't know, the Chocolate Bunny has been around a long time. The Lint started using it in Germany in 1952. And its success and popularity grew, and so did Lint's frustration when a whole lot of competitors started using uh, or selling similar-shaped gold bunnies. Um, it's probably not so uncommon in the Easter realm, so it probably uh, doesn't come as much a surprise, which we will get onto in a little bit. Um, it's a reason for, for why they've struggled so much. So, um, obviously, like like a lot of companies, when you've got such a successful and, and profitable product you want to try and protect the investment that you make in in that product uh, and so Lint tried to secure some some trademarks for, for that they started it at the EU uh, as we know is uh, the EU provides a unitary right that if successful provides the owner with exclusive registered rights throughout all EU member states so that saves the applicant from having to file individual national applications in, in every country. Um, mm. And over the years, they start. They started and filed their first trademark in 2000. Uh, they filed for the 3D shape of the the sitting gold chocolate bunny, and it had mm-hmm. on it embossed with the Lint uh, gold bunny logo. Mm-hmm. Uh, that went that went through um, with no problems. They then followed on in 2004. Uh, they they tried to register the bunny uh, with the exact same shape, color, uh, the, the ribbon attached, and the bell um, without the lint logo, and that mark was ah. unfortunately refused. Oh, that's so, interesting. So yeah. what's so so they managed to register it with the lint logo stamped on the side, and then they apply a bit later for exactly the same shape mark effectively but without the logo so what why did that one why did that one not succeed do you think so the key stumbling block for these types of marks you you mentioned it at the beginning about uh, this type of mark is called a is a non-traditional trademark so shapes Mm. and colors for example or sounds and smells so we call this non-traditional because customers or consumers aren't don't ordinarily perceive these types of things as having trademark significance so they don't automatically see a color 
in connection with a product or a service and think, oh, that's that's that company, it must be them. Mm. We're not really uh, wired to think that way. Usually it's a, a name or a logo. Yeah. Uh, and so for the first for their first trademark, um, that was went through okay because it had this lint name attached to it. Uh, so really, what the UIPO office, EUIPO office was saying in registering that mark was that we see you've registered this gold shape and it's got a, a pretty bunny and things, but really what we're seeing here is is the lint name and and that's what right. their trademark protection we're going to apply to that. So presumably they went on to try and register it without the lint logo because that's going to give them a much broader scope of protection if they if they manage to get it onto the register right because you're not suddenly confined to that lint word you've you've got just the pure look of the product itself but it, but they didn't it, succeed exactly and so in the back of all of this while while they're trying to register these trademarks what's going on in the market is these other competitors trying to to apply or try to sell similar looking bunnies and similar looking shapes but with other brands applied to them or without brands right. applied to them at all so what lint's doing here is they're trying to to it get protection for the shape itself and for the color itself, as opposed to the word lint. So um, th- I think this this uh, particular case, the the um, shape mark without lint, went all the way up to a decision from the the Court of Justice. And what what did they have to say about shape marks in general? I think it was quite an important decision. Yeah, so I think they the UIPO or sorry the CJAU. T- took a chance here to to reinforce the the existing precedent about trademark uh, sorry about shape shape mark so they confirmed that the shape of a, sh- a 3D gold bunny cannot be re- registrable as a trademark because consumers are unlikely to identify the shape as communicating uh, trade origin so it's therefore not de- it's devoid of distinctive character and therefore cannot function as the as a trademark or perform the essential function of a trademark. There's sort of a public policy angle coming in here maybe, isn't there? Because we're talking about, you know, a product that sells fantastically well at Easter time and it is a bunny and it's a chocolate bunny. And, you know, the the trademark registries have two two things they need to do. They need to worry about whether that the mark is performing its essential function and they need to grant protection to those marks that are protectable. But at the same time, they're thinking, you know, are we are we uh, preventing competition in the market? And if you give somebody a registration, a monopoly in the shape of what is an iconic Easter symbol creature, then you're effectively saying only one company can ever make a chocolate rabbit. I mean, that's too simplistic, but I suppose that is the kind no, of I think- no, I think you've, underlying you've, tone of that decision. That's exactly right. No, I think you're exactly right on that. The um, well, what CJU said on that on that point was that it, for a mark for or a shape or a color to be registrable or be inherently distinctive, it would have to depart significantly from the norm or the customs of the industry, or be so mm. different and unusual in that industry or that market for consumers to associate it with trademarks demands, but also so it's not upholding a, a monopoly that's preventing uh, other traders from doing something that's quite normal or or expected uh, in the market. So as you say, yeah. Easter chocolate bunnies, uh, all traders are, are commonly ex- or expected to, to come out with a, an Easter or, or bunny-shaped chocolate. Uh, again, you know, gold foil is quite a common colour to wrap chocolate in. It's, uh, 
again, used widely across across the industry. And also they even um, pointed to the red ribbon around the bunny itself and talked about that the color red also has significance, uh, religious connotations in the context of Easter. So all of these factors were weighing up uh, the decision that the bunny itself, the way it's depicted, just wasn't enough to pull it away to create that uniqueness for inherent registrability. Well, it's, it's interesting you mentioned the, the gold color of the foil there because that, that sort of brings us quite nicely onto the German decision that, that has come out recently, um, which, you know, strikes me as it's, it's lint changing tack a bit um, and trying a case in Germany where I think they, they succeeded in, in uh, persuading the court that they did have some rights in the actual color gold. Is that right? Yes, that, that is right. But slightly different to their, what they've tried so far um, at the EU IPO, what they were trying to do was register and apply for registered trademark rights mm. because they've failed thus far on that front. And in, in, in many of those cases, they had to then pull back and think, okay, well, maybe in Germany, in our home country, we could rely on unregistered rights. So this is going to their their reputation uh, and their knowledge of the mark in the market uh, and relying on that. So the, the, the reason that came about um, was in around 2018, um, they became aware of another competitor using or offering a gold foil wrapped chocolate bunny. Uh, they they brought infringement proceedings against that, that company and relying on these uh, unregistered use-based rights. So in Germany, uh, you can rely on acquired unregistered trademark rights when there's been use in commerce as a trademark and when that mm-hmm. use has acquired a reputation. And what the German courts have quite a particular way, don't they, I think, of looking at this. I mean, what sort of evidence did, did Lint have to produce to convince them? So Lint, the key f- factor here for, for Lint's evidence, that they did submit, submit a lot. Uh, there was They showed more than 500 million um, gold Lint bunnies that had been sold over the last 30 years. So we're talking a, a high volume. It's a lot of chocolate. <laughs> a lot of chocolate. Uh, and they also submitted a, a survey. And that survey showed that 75% of respondents uh, thought the colour gold in relation to chocolate bunnies refers to a single company. And then 72% of those respondents were able to identify Lint as the company that produces those chocolate bunnies and those gold-covered chocolate bunnies. That's extraordinarily high high recognition, actually. I think even by German survey standards. Yeah, they, so they, the German Federal Supreme Court uh, recognises that 50% is about the threshold required for, for acquired recognition, and they were well above that. Yeah, that's impressive. Um, I suppose what we don't know yet from all of that is what the outcome of that particular case is going to be, do we? Because the, the we've had this decision from the um, Supreme Court saying, or the sorry, the German Federal Court saying, okay, we think Lint does enjoy trademark rights, protectable rights in the colour gold. What we don't know is whether the competitor's rabbit is going to be deemed to infringe those rights. So it will be interesting to see in due course. Exactly, yeah. And how do you think, I mean, do you think Lint could do something similar at EU level or is this a kind of one-off scenario peculiar to Germany, peculiar to the here and now? It, it is definitely on, on for, for a few reasons that EU does have a much higher uh, threshold to meet for acquired distinctiveness. Uh, for example, you'd have to show use uh, and recognition in all EU member states, which is quite a lot. 
uh, and over countries now. <laughs> exactly. Uh, now and over for, for a long period of time, uh, one of the criticisms uh, the EU made was that the Lintz product is only seasonal. So they only were able to show use during Easter and Christmas. Whereas when you think about the chocolate industry, which is huge, uh, that all year round um, compared to other major competitors in the market, it just didn't quite compare. Oh, interesting. So there was there was another point um, that they picked up on. Uh, well, um, Harman, uh, the other side, uh, who was um, challenging Lint in this case, uh, picked up on the fact that the EU um, released a, a new directive. There was a, there was a change in, in law that kind of cracked down a little bit more on on shape marks generally. Uh, so that directive um, states that a sign would be excluded from trademark protection, so adding another hurdle to reach in order to get mm -hmm. trademark protection for for a non traditional mark. Uh, that that would that the mark would um, be excluded if it consisted exclusively of a characteristic feature, so an element that resulted from the nature of the goods themselves, or obtained a technical result, or gave some substantial value to, to the goods themselves. Um, so that, that directive came in. It actually uh, was adopted in German law uh, during the course of, of the Lint proceedings. Um, but then Harman tried to rely on that. The German Federal Supreme Court kind of knocked, knocked that down, unfortunately, for them. Um, uh, they said it was because uh, Lint survey was completed and these proceedings were brought before that directive was was um, incorporated into law that it didn't apply in, in this case. So if if we were to bring this again, potentially completely different story that would now apply and probably be looked at quite rigorously in Lint's case. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see going forward. Oh, that, that is interesting. And it's it sort of, well, without wanting to take the fun out of the headlines but you know you tend to see these reports on this 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 amazing new decision has come out of Germany you know Lint, Lint owns the color gold but actually when you dig behind it it's it may just be it may turn out to be this one decision frozen at a point in time and they they will struggle to achieve that in another case exactly and then I think the key point to note is that Lint still does not own any registered trademark rights uh, in the EU for the gold bunny itself or the gold foil um, only when applied with the Lint logo. So can you see Lint being able to prevent new or current competitors from making golden chocolate rabbits in future? I think I think they've probably learned a lot um, over the course of these proceedings. Um, said so their evidence, you know, what what the EU looks for uh, in the in the evidence. Um, you know, personally, I, I I think they do have a, a quite a substantial reputation um, for for the gold bunny. So I'd like to see them try again. Uh, perhaps I'm sure they um, will. With some, yeah, and uh, see see how this keeps going. You know, it's always nice to have these kind of decisions come through, and uh, they're interesting to assess. So. Oh, I'm sure that there'll be others in the food industry as well who are looking on with interest, those with uh, other sort of food shape marks. Actually, we talked for, for, for listeners who haven't listened to it already. There was a, another recent podcast about Colin the Caterpillar, Marks and Spencer's uh, iconic birthday cake in the shape of a caterpillar. Um, and yes, do, do have a listen to that episode as well. It touches on some similar issues. Well, I think that's all we've got time for today, Ali. Um, thanks very much for joining me as ever. 
and thank you to all of our listeners and we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Cartmels and Conversation very soon. Thanks, Lara.